This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Joining us now is our friend Chris Thomason, covering the Broncos for the Denver Gazette. Chris Thomason, that's T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N on Twitter or X or whatever. It's kind of funny. You still, <laughs> I'm looking at it even right now, and it my 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 web browser says Twitter.com. I'm at Twitter.com. Like rebrand, rebrand. I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? You but know anyway, what I discovered the you know, other day? You know, it. Now it's two ways to find Chris Thomason. You can go to Twitter or X. I, I discovered the other day that I'm on X. That sounds like I can reply to people. That sounds like a All website right. you shouldn't be on, Sandy. That's what I realized X. about that brand X. Yeah, it's a mm. no. I, I I gave Joel Clack credit for uh, his comment, um, even as it was made with seven eight minutes to go in a game the other night. And um, who else did I support? There was somebody else. I wow, Chris. Uh, oh, yeah. That that's uh, that's someone we can't talk. Sandy about. is on social media. Yeah. Can you believe we've reached this point? It's only it's only week three. I figured that Thomason's on social media. Of course he is. Yeah. <laughs> how's it going, Thomason's Chris? an old soul. He's on. Social. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey. The uh, this game for the Broncos. I look. I, it sounds insane. I get it. It's week three, but given the realities in their division, given the realities in the AFC, if the Broncos even have slight, slight designs on being in the playoffs. You have to win this game, and this game is infinitely harder than the first two they've faced. Did you get the feeling there is an intensity down there at Dove Valley this week that there had not been in the previous two? I would agree with that, and you're speaking to a man who attended the only game the Broncos have ever won in Miami. 2011, Tim Tebow. I was with Fox Sports Florida then, and uh, I think it was 15 to nothing. The Dolphins were leading it. That it was. Yeah, was. somehow the Broncos, def- everyone thought they were going to get killed, and they defied all the odds. Well, they were getting killed for for so, at least three and a half quarters, and Tebow pulled some rabbits out of his hat in the final minutes, tied it in regulation, they won it in overtime. Yeah, so maybe they need to roll out uh, Tim Tebow, bring him, put him on the sidelines <laughs> for the game with a good luck charm or something like that. But, uh, yeah, the uh, team... Uh, Seemed a little more, uh, didn't seem maybe quite as upbeat as they had been in uh, previous weeks. It's definitely a more business-like uh, attitude around here this week because, you know, like you said, they know uh, they got to win this one or uh, it's not looking good. No one is uh, pointing fig- fingers publicly, but the head coach seems to be doing a little bit of that. Um, on some points, it's hard to disagree with him. Uh, he referred to the defense as having been poor on Sunday, and there's no doubt that he was right about that, at least for the last uh, two and a half quarters of the game. But offensively, are you sensing that there may be trouble in paradise between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, mostly initiated by Payton, of course, in finding three separate reasons to put some degree of blame on Wilson for the loss on Sunday. Uh, first, uh, mentioning Wilson uh, rather sharply, although he did make reference to uh, his having to get better, but mentioning that Wilson was also culpable and not being able to get the plays out, resulting in the Broncos taking three timeouts well before the end of the first half on Sunday. And then, of course, talking about 
uh, how his uh, fumble changed the momentum of, of the game, even though the score was 21-3 to and the fumble was in the middle of the field, and then saying that he missed a wide-open Jerry Judy for the two-point conversion that would have tied the game at the end. Uh, is there trouble in paradise? Yeah, I'm not going to go that far, but I do or have found it interesting that uh, Sean Payton has been quite loquacious this week in talking about the need to uh, reduce the verbiage. I mean, he spoke about it Sunday, spoke about it Monday, he spoke about it today, and then you had Russell Wilson, who pretty much uh, just downplayed it, saying, Ah, oh, maybe we changed one or two words or something like that. So I find that <laughs> they don't sound like two guys who are on the same page, though, do they? Right, right. One is talked extensively. We're reducing it. We're doing these things, and the other was like, ah, every, you know, everything, you know, seems to just seems to be fine. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he didn't fully say that, but you know how Russell Wilson talks, and uh, if you had just listened to the press conference, not knowing what the team's record is, you would have thought this was a 2-0 and team versus a 0-2 exactly. team. Exactly. The Sultan of Sugarcoating. Yes. And that is not Peyton. And I'm, I'm just wondering over a period of time, uh, I, I hope I'm not asking the same question over and over again, but I'm just wondering over a period of time, two distinctly different personalities. Uh, Sean Peyton does point fingers, although rarely at himself. And Russell Wilson never, never points any fingers anybody. at anybody, including himself. Well, we have yet to hear Sean Payton talk about a regular season Broncos victory because we haven't had one yet. So uh, we all eagerly will await the uh, first one, uh, if there is a first one, and uh, listen to, you know, obviously it'll depend on how the game goes, but we'll see how complimentary he might be or if he's, pointing out team shortcomings even after a win. So uh, that'll be interesting. We're talking to Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette, and the, the offense is has been kind of interesting. We've talked about it a lot this week, the idea that Russell Wilson in the first half of games has been really good and the second half of games uh, certainly substantially less so. But some of this, it's easy to point the finger at Wilson, but it's a little more complicated than that because uh, guys like, Jaleel McLaughlin or Marvin Mims, who scored touchdowns in the first half, barely saw the field in the second half. We've seen Sean Payton take some of his weapons away and go into a more conservative game plan. There were a lot of misdirections and plays early in this Washington game that appeared to be pretty creative, and then Payton went away from that. How much longer can Sean Payton sort of knock away the idea that this isn't his responsibility or his fault, even though he's the guy that came into this season going that the team was fine. It was just Nathaniel Hackett had the worst coaching job in the history of the NFL, but here he is with an 0-2 to start both games at home. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point you make. I mean, the Mims thing was that didn't make any sense. I mean, he looked like he was going to uh, shatter all sorts of records in the Broncos record book. Uh, you know, catches 113 yards worth of passes on his first two catches, 45-yard kickoff return. He had, I think, at halftime, like 166 all-purpose yards or something along those lines. And, yeah, and in the second half, one touch, one carry for two yards. That was bizarre. Julio McLaughlin, you know, I was surprised he didn't get another touch. That wasn't quite as bizarre because – 
they looked like they definitely wanted Javante Williams to be be their workhorse feature back. I mean, even Samaji Pirine, who looked pretty good in the opener, he didn't have a single carry until the uh, third quarter, and I think that might have been his only one of the game. So you could also say, well, Pirine looked pretty good in the opener, perhaps better than Williams, and why was he so underutilized? You you mentioned it, and we've talked about it all week, the 0-2 start. The Broncos are really, really bad in the AFL. They finished last or fourth after Cincinnati was added to the division. Fourth place wasn't last place anymore in the AFL's Western Division. But they finished last almost every year or fourth. And yet, on several occasions, they started the season with two games at home, and they either won them both or split them. And those AFL teams won less than 30% of the time. The Broncos, over their last 106 games, going back to 2016, have lost um, a little more than 65% of their games. So they're similar to the AFL teams. But even the AFL Broncos never opened with two losses at home, as uh, this team has. And they've had 15 previous years in their history before this one, in which they've opened with, with two losses at home, they were favored in both games by more than three points. And here they stand at 0-2. Uh, you, you mentioned the mood around the team uh, being a little more maybe subdued. Business-like. Uh, business-like yeah. uh, this week. Um, I know what guys say publicly, but do you get any sense – uh, and it could come from offense, defense, or even special teams in some respects, that people are looking around waiting for the next disaster to happen because they've well, lost two totally that. different I mean, uh, two totally different kinds of games. They've lost, and it continues the recent history of finding all kinds of different ways to lose football games. Yeah, no, I wouldn't go that far. I think that they think, they have they're pretty that they're good. I mean, they've lost two games by a combined total of of three points. So maybe waiting for the next disaster isn't the right term uh, description. But <laughs> maybe you know there might be in a game there might be well waiting what's going to go wrong next type right situation. right exactly and yeah, and, and in the that. profile on Sean Payton that so Wickersham did after and and Wickersham was with Payton during that first joint practice with the Rams that was so terrible. One of the points Sean Payton made was when we make a bad play, we stay bad for the next four or five plays. Guys are just wandering around like they have no idea what they're doing. Uh, And he said, we have absolutely no spirit on this football team. The Rams during the joint practice, when they made a good play, they have guys jumping up, congratulating one another and so on. We have none of that. None of that. And there's none of that in evidence over the first two games uh, on this football team. The the only time people get excited is when they're delivering cheap shots. And the Broncos have had plenty of cheap shots on the defensive side of the ball, at least in the first two games of, of the season. And I guess they get excited over cheap shots. But there's no evidence that there's any spirit on this team at all. Well, that's another good talking point right there. Because I asked Sean Payton on Monday's conference call kind of what his message 
to the team had been after the game because a lot of players were saying, oh, coach told us nobody's going to be on our bandwagon, and they were kind of preaching an us-against-the-world attitude. So I asked about that, and then he brought up on his own the penalties, which obviously is disgusting him greatly. I mean, he brought up on his own, we're number one in the league, 19 penalties are tied for first. Tied for first number with one with 12 uh, defensive yes. penalties, yes. five personal fouls. Right. So, I mean, the team has been undisciplined, and it was interesting to see Sean Payton just kind of volunteering that. Well, we're undisciplined. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, going to be interesting to see if they can correct that in a short period. I, I know that we – Look at this game, and and I I guess we'll, we'll, let's make it this simple. But last before you here, Chris, and if the Broncos win, obviously the the narrative around the team changes dramatically. You're talking about a, a very good team in Miami winning that game on the road. I think wouldn't all of a sudden make it look like the the close losses maybe changed the perspective. But if they lose and they're zero and three, and they don't look particularly any better than they have in the first two weeks. What is the narrative around this team going to be if they get, find themselves in that situation, all but eliminated from postseason contention three weeks in and looking like an also ran in, in the AFC immediately, despite all the changes? Well, what it should be, if that's the case, I mean, I'm not going to say that Jared Stidham should be playing for Russell Wilson. I'm not going to go that far, but they're 0-3. They need to start throwing out these young guys even more. I mean, they need to start playing Marvin Mims. They need to play Julio McLaughlin more. Drew uh, Sanders. Drew Sanders more on defense and then see what these guys look like. And if these guys look like the future, then uh, you start thinking, which veterans can we trade at the trade deadline? So that's kind of how I would approach it. Well, that would be, I think, where the Broncos would be. I mean, you're talking about Packing in the rest of the season, basically. I mean, that's realistically where they would be. Only three games in. Remarkable. Make sure you follow Chris for all the latest on the Broncos. Chris Thomason on Twitter, X, whatever it is. You know which one you, whichever one you're using. Make sure you give him a follow there and keep I'm track on, of I'm on X. There you so go. The big X. X. All right. That's the, the one. X. That's the one. I'm gonna be I'm gonna I'm gonna be the the one that's gonna be a get off my lawn guy and resistant to change. So make sure you give him a follow there on X at Chris Thomason and check out everything they're putting together with exact great coverage of the Broncos and all of the teams over there as well. Chris, always great to talk to you. Thank you for the time. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks, Chris Thomason, joining us. The Broncos offense gets the attention because of Russell Wilson's subpar year, subpar being kind, atrocious year, abysmal year, right? But the defense, I think, as we've begun to start of work our way to, and I think fans are coming around to, is probably not what was advertised. How bad is it? I'll give you a very interesting comment by a guy that knows about defense. I'll share that with you next on Miley Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. 
it's so fascinating to watch this start because remember, for a lot of people, the idea that the Broncos under Sean Payton, that was going to fix all their ills and their playoff contender this year. We told you they weren't. But a lot of people nationally who hadn't been around the team as much just kind of looked at the, <laughs> let's face it, brand names and figured that'll work, right? Sean but, Payton, Russell Wilson. Yeah. Super Bowl especially after, Especially after the, uh, the comment by... Peyton, that it was all Nathaniel Hackett's fault, essentially. I mean, yeah, I mean, this makes it easy. Who right? was it who said, what, was it one of the guys on Around the Horn who we used yesterday mm. saying he made a fool of himself? Tim Kalashaw, Dallas Morning News. When he said that, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, people weren't saying that at the time he made the statement. We were. We did. <laughs> we, we thought it was. Yeah, we were. Very indicative. Aaron Rodgers, I thought. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, did have him pegged. He yeah, said Aaron Rodgers he also looking, thought that was foolish. He knows they're going to be bad. Yep. He's looking for a soft landing so that he can blame somebody else, and he's absolved And it's blame. taken two weeks. Took two, two weeks to say that, well, you know, Hackett wasn't very good last year, but Hackett was 2-1 and one after three weeks. Not that anybody thought the Broncos were going anywhere, no. but this year – the best they can hope for They'll is They'll have two. to stage the upset of the year it would, today it would in be. the NFL. It would be the upset of the year. To be one and two. It absolutely would. And, I, and you know, you say, well, they got Chicago and Chicago in week three. I guarantee, or week four, I guarantee you the Bears are saying, we have Denver, we have Denver in, week in week four exactly at home. Right. Yes, we're 0-3, but they're 0-3. Right. You're exactly that, that, right. That'll be the talk next week. And, and it will you, be. you, of course, will be... Uh, Elsewhere for part of the week, anyway. Yep, yep. So you, you won't uh, have to put I, I up can, with the yeah, nonsense from some of that. two zero and three teams trying to talk themselves into believing <laughs> into they're believe still they're better. playoff contenders, right? But the funny thing is, is the the idea that the Broncos are somehow still in unless it, you think the Bears will coaching. win in Kansas City. Uh, I do not think they'll win in Kansas City. Uh, Jacksonville, which is a legitimately good team, uh, scored six points. Correct at home. Nine. Oh, nine. Pardon me. That's right. Nine. nine. Uh, at home against Kansas, Kansas City. Kansas City has good defense. Yeah, they In do. fact, it could be argued Kansas City's defense right now looks right now, better than its offense. Yeah, which, by the way, uh, missing practice today for the, the Chiefs. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, their running back, and Kadarius Toney, their wide receiver, uh, both missing practice. So, you know, it, right now their their offense is wobbly, but Patrick Mahomes is still in charge of it. I have a he feeling is. that it will work itself out. But the idea that the Broncos still have a lot of good pieces, which I think you and I have, have done – uh, a rather, I don't want to sprain my shoulder patting ourselves on the back, but you and I have been rather consistent saying, look, they actually don't have a lot of stars. Uh, I, they I have know two. They have two. Uh, on defense. And those two, Simmons is frankly, team. haven't played like superstars nope. in the first two weeks. They haven't. That would be Justin Simmons and Patrick Sutan the second. And the idea that the defense, as we told you, isn't going to be able to mount a consistent pass rush, that's not new, at least to people, you know, not to us. It seems to be new to a lot of people. Rex Ryan was... Uh, reportedly in the mix for the defensive coordinator job. He did not get it. Vance, Vance Joseph, Joseph got it. Did. Uh, Rex Ryan clearly wanted that job, it seems. Uh, so much so that perhaps he still buys into the idea that the Broncos He may still be also campaigning for the job. Also possible, right? <laughs> he, he could still be campaigning for it right now. That's a very good point, especially if you listen to him on ESPN's first take this morning. Here's what I also know about Denver right now. Okay, because we're all looking. How come this marriage, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, doesn't seem to be clicking? Well, it is clicking. This team has averaged more points 
per possession than any offensive unit in the National Football League. Nobody knows that. It's the truth. Last week, they only had six possessions. So whose fault is that on? It's on their defense. Their defense is supposed to be number one in the league. If I was going to be the coordinator, I don't know what the hell it's doing now. That's who's letting this team down. It's their defense. It's not the offense. So to me, it's a crazy stat. This team is more points per possession than any offense in the league. So to me, I think it's fixable. And we just got to get that defense playing to what the expectations were. Because when I saw the talent they had on that defense, I'm like, there's no reason why this shouldn't be the top defense in the league. This one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, what? Yeah. Well, that was his campaign pitch for the job. Maybe you know, that's, maybe that's what you're talking the about. The because the best, de- I don't think, if it's an, I don't think utter anybody nonsense. was talking about the Broncos, even in the most glowing terms, as the best defense in the league. That's absurd. I mean, right? No one, no one was saying that. But you have a point. Uh, maybe he's seeing the writing on the wall and would like to uh, publicly campaign for reapply, the job. reapply, if you will. Perhaps that's uh, perhaps that's you know, well. I, you caught him I saying even about that, but you basically, right. if I were, oh, and then I don't know what the defensive coordinator is doing, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, but if I were, you know, I was trying to say, if I were in charge, they'd be the number one defense. That was essentially. The message there from uh, Rex Ryan, and they, of course, would not be. Um, although I think Rex Ryan is a halfway decent defensive coach. Yeah. Um, and maybe even a better than average uh, defensive coach. I think he's a well below average head coach, but you can say that about a lot of decent assistants, decent, sure. good not assistants. Is. And, and, and listen, we, uh, none of us, and this is not personal, Vance Joseph was one of the nicest men you'll ever run across. A lot of us, when, when he was hired and brought back, thought that even if he had done a little better than he did here as a head coach for two years, it was a little odd of all the candidates that Sean Payton could have chosen that he settled on Vance Joseph. Uh, that seemed odd. I thought so too. To me, uh, you know, the, the the proof will be in the pudding here. Because to be fair, we've we've talked about this as well that we don't think the defensive roster is as good as a lot of people think. We don't think the overall talent there is as good as people think. And Vance and Joseph's that, delusional too when he says this the is best, the best edge rusher we ever had. That was a ridiculous thing to say. That was as that was as ridiculous as to say as Rex Ryan saying this should be the league's top defense. Right. In right. part because. It's the same problem. You're overrating your your, your ability talent. to go get the quarterback. And, and, first and people and say, "Well, that, you know, coaches are always going to say that, but it affects the way they deploy personnel." Yes, yes, and it may explain why Drew Sanders isn't playing mm-hmm. because he thinks that Singleton and Jewel are really good, especially Jewel, and Jewel is not really good. Um, Singleton, they do seem to be souring on. I, I like Josie Jewel more than I like Singleton as a player. Uh, I've I think there is, I, I think Jewel is actually a very good diagnostician for the most part, but the problem is the I lack of foot speed. It's, I, I think well, he's, he's made he some said, mistakes. A lot of guys. He said did. after the first, the first game and a key play of the game, I was out of position, and right. he was the only guy in the stadium who thought Jimmy Garoppolo had already thrown the football when clearly he hadn't, and he was running for a first down that was going to send He did the miss game. that one, sure. And Jewel is not only slow, but he was. Completely I think for the most part, he's a pretty, pretty heady player. But I do think the foot speed mm-hmm. is problematic. 
and he, he is colossally overrated, as is Singleton. Uh, the, you know, Singleton in particular is referred to as a tackling machine. Just because you tackle a lot of people seven yards down the field doesn't mean you're a tackling machine. Right, and and it's you're you're, you're not a strong. I don't player. discount the the tackle and, and numbers. Neither one of them can cover you or me. But tackle numbers are not; they do not mean what they used to mean because the the way what what we talk about we talk about what we used to call outside linebackers. Now we call them edge rushers. Right, it's it's morphed into that because the roles and your expectations of those roles they're have not changed. even called linebackers anymore. No linebackers it's its own thing. are off ball linebackers right. who used to be called inside linebackers. Right now we say off now ball say and off edge ball, rushers and. Then the outside guys are edge rushers. Right. They're not outside the linebackers. Roles are They're not OLBs anymore. They're edge rushers. And your job as an off-ball linebacker, at the bare minimum, is to hoover vacuum up a whole bunch of tackles that happen in the middle of the field. Yes, and also be and that's able your to role. cover a little bit, and neither one of them can cover right. anybody. And that's, that's simply a foot speed problem. It's just that easy. And that's where the idea with Drew Sanders coming in would be a difference maker. And that, that because may not, he's fast. May not and hurt yes, him in this game His so speed much. will allow him to be out of position and still make plays, which they couldn't stop bragging about during the preseason. I say they, Vance Joseph, saying every day he makes a play that no other linebacker can make yeah, because of speed. Marvin Mims, a speed, 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 and the Broncos, and for whatever play. reason, don't deploy them. Don't now, play. Durham Smythe, the tight end for the Dolphins, may not be the one that makes the Broncos pay for their mistakes too much, obviously. Smythe has six catches for 67 yards. Nothing wrong with that, but he's not exactly Travis Kelsey. Jalen Waddell's availability for this game, and we'll have to watch it as it comes along, is going to be a major part of this. If Waddle is available, the passing offense is extremely dangerous. But you still have Tyreek Hill. Who had over 200 yards against mm-hmm. the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Now, he wasn't nearly that prolific on Sunday night football nope. against the Patriots. He was not. But if he isn't the best receiver in football, Justin Jefferson is, and Hill is number two. Hill has 14 first downs on 16 catches. If there's one thing he does, he moves the chains. There's not a lot of short plays to Tyreek Hill. He catches the ball. The odds are it's first down, period. And the challenge of covering Hill when you know you don't have the ability to do much in the middle is in part because if you want to put a shell on top, the Vic Fangio style, Vic Fangio, of course, would be the defensive coordinator on the other side of the ball for the Miami Dolphins. If you want to put the lid on the defense, quote unquote, so Hill doesn't get behind you. Uh, well, that, that might work. It also might not because Tyreek Hill is a good route runner and so fast he's going to bust through a couple times anyway and you hope the two doesn't hit him. But the problem is if you get Hill in space on underneath routes, he's every bit as dangerous. And for the Broncos, trying to figure out this matchup on pass defense is a nightmare. Think about the quarterback, Sandy who have eviscerated the Broncos in the first two weeks. Jimmy Garoppolo, who, by the way, this more or less, same Broncos defense personnel-wise, more or less, with the exception of Draymond Jones and and Zach Allen swapping out, more or less the same defense. More or less. Held Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners to 10 points last year. That was pre-Christian McCaffrey. I understand that, but they were even the pre-Christian McCaffrey Niners were considered to be better than the Raiders were coming into this game one. And I would. I would think so, yes. You have Garoppolo and Sam Howell 
tearing through the Broncos' pass defense like tissue paper, in part because the Broncos' coverage, especially, and look, I like him. Damari Mathis has had a rough start to the year. He has. He's played poorly. And he's not getting help because I don't care how good your defensive backfield is. If you can't put pressure on the quarterback, it's a problem. The Broncos can't put pressure on anybody in base, and they can barely put pressure on anybody with the blitz. When they blitz, in fact, they're 26th in the league in uh, QBR against when they blitz. And they're 6th in the league in blitz rate. So they're blitzing what a lot. What does that tell you? You blitz a lot. And they're 26th when they blitz in allowing quarterbacks to compile against them, Garoppolo and Howell in this case. Something north of 88 in QBR, which is a 1 to 100 measurement. Right. So 88 is in a grading system a B plus. But in QBR, it's more like an A minus, yeah. If not a straight A, because anything north of eighty is really, really good. I mean, Russell Wilson's QBR in the first half of the first two games is ninety-seven point one, and he's at sixteen point whatever in the second half. Ninety-seven point one—that's about as close to perfect as any NFL quarterback is ever going to be, and sixteen point whatever is about as bad as any NFL quarterback is going to be over, in effect, two halves, which is one game. Well, I, I Googled, just to double-check, uh, any sort of antonym or opposite of the term bang for the buck and trying to describe what the Broncos' defense is. Literally, the, the entire internet has nothing. So, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like, uh, I feel like I, I was like, man, my vocabulary is usually pretty good, but there's got to be something opposite of bang for the buck. No, there really isn't. But that's what the Broncos are getting. They are they get, blitzing at a high nothing. rate, and they're getting no value for it whatsoever. So you're gambling, and it's not helping at all. So what do you do? Well, the guys they're blitzing with Is it just getting death through. by a thousand cuts and hope they score more slowly? Don't blitz and just, I mean, what do you do here? And keep in mind. They are already telling you that they can't generate a pass rush with four people. And the only guy that's missing. They're already telling With all due respect, I understand that, but. I, okay, Riley Moss hasn't been able to play yet. I know that K1 Williams is hurt. K1 Williams is your nickel guy. Baron Browning, as much as I like Baron Browning, is not going to walk through the door when he's healthy. He's not Lawrence and, Taylor. And be, yeah, and be Lawrence Taylor here. <laughs> he's he's a promising young player the Broncos who had five drafted, sacks last year. The Broncos could have drafted the next Lawrence Taylor, and George Pate was infatuated with Patrick Sertan the second. Which I still and think is defensible. I know we disagree at Micah on that. Parsons. Wouldn't even look he, at he Micah didn't wanna, Parsons. He didn't want to pick anybody who and didn't that was play worse. that previous year. That was pandemic. worse than passing on Justin Fields. Uh, it, Micah Parsons, and, and I understand the Broncos weren't the only team that passed on him, and they aren't the only. The for 49ers, the same if they haven't traded all their draft picks for Trey Lance, could have drafted him. Can you imagine Nick Bosa on <laughs> one side and Micah Parsons on oh, the, the other. quarterbacks don't want to think By about no that. less an authority than Peter King, who covered Lawrence Taylor for Newsday during his prime years with the New York football giants in the 1980s, he said more than anybody I have ever seen since Lawrence Taylor, Micah Parsons is LT 2.0. I think you could he, make he the is, argument. And he probably does more things. Now, there's only one Lawrence Taylor in terms of being powerful, and speedy on the rush, but that's kind of what 
Micah Parsons brings in playing multiple positions on defense. He has power and he has speed. And that doesn't translate just into pass rushing. That translates into being able to play a number of other positions, which Lawrence Taylor didn't actually I, I doubt do, you'd argue with it, me on Lawrence this. Taylor could have played any position on the field. He had that kind of ability. But the Giants, but you know, Belichick was creative in the way he moved him mm-hmm. around, but he basically played a particular position, which was strong side, outside linebacker. I think you could make the argument, and I, don't, I doubt you'll fight me on it because I know you're about as big a Michael Parsons fan as there is. I would argue that at this stage today, behind only Patrick Mahomes, Michael Parsons is the second best player in the NFL. And that's with apologies to Christian McCaffrey, who I think has to be in that mix. But I, I would say that Parsons is even more disruptive. I think oh, he's probably yes. the second. Every I think he's the second best player in football, period. He's on every period. series he's involved. He's disruptive. On every series. And a lot of it has to do with the positions they play, but you don't get that disruption from Patrick Sertan or from Justin and Simmons. And I get it's just not a fair don't. comparison because, you know, it's not the same position. I do understand all of that. But at the same time, you know, Von Miller used to get this, and that's when I argued, you know, that, that Von Miller's, even when he had a subpar year by his standards, that people were underrating Von Miller's value because here's the catch. For the entirety of his Denver Broncos career, there was not a single defense uh, de- offensive coordinator that looked at the Broncos and did not say, account for number 58 on every play. Well, every play. Between, and that's where Michael Parsons, where is anyone who plays the Dallas Cowboys, the first thing you should be asking, where's number 11? Between 2014 and 2018, five-year period, Vaughn Miller was as good as any defensive player in the league. Over those five years. Now, it came off the 13 season where, you know, he got hurt and he was suspended and he partied with the Seahawks uh, or tried to after Super Bowl 48 in the Meadowlands. Uh, Very odd behavior. But from 14 through 18, for five years, capped off with a 14 sack season in 2018, playing for. Three different defensive coordinators, Jack Del Rio, Wade Phillips, and who am I missing from 17 and 18 with Vance? Joe Woods. Uh, Playing for three different defensive coordinators in five years, he was the best. And that's why the first thing about Vic Fangio that seemed odd to me was his rather subdued statement regarding Vaughn Miller when he first gave you. You're talking about a guy who had been better than Khalil Mack, who Fangio just coached. But Fangio came in there and acted like Bradley Chubb had played the previous five Mm -hmm. years the way Vaughn Miller had. And Bradley Chubb was his best pass rusher, his best outside linebacker, his best edge rusher, whatever you wanted to call him. And I, I remember thinking at the time, okay, I understand, you know, maybe lighting a fire and saying, you know, as great as you've been, you can be better and I can make you better. That that would inspire. That, that would have been different but, than what you And I think that's yeah. what Miller took him to mean until Fangio continued to criticize Miller. And Miller's looking at it. What do you mean? I mean, you've got this great pass rush tandem and 
why does it make any difference who the better of the two will be? We're going to be a great tandem. Of course, that never developed because of injuries, and that wasn't entirely, well, wasn't at all Fangio's fault. But it seemed odd to me that Fangio would come in, he would have at his disposal the best defensive player in football for the previous five years, and he'd knock him. And then he'd say, well, he's got to play a lot more. He's got to play 90 95% of the time. I said, why? Is that going to make him more productive or less productive? Well, one Turned of them out to be less productive. is going to be in the Hall of Fame, and the other one I don't necessarily know. But this is an opportunity for Patrick Stan to prove that he's that guy, that the, that the offenses have to say, where's number two? Can he live up to it? We'll talk about that next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, Sandy, it's a it's said often that every crisis is also an opportunity for the Denver Broncos. They are 0-2, and they need to find a way to get a win in a place they've won exactly. We had Chris Thomason off of the Denver Gazette uh, once, one time, one time. The Broncos have won in Miami. Yikes. And, um, and Chris was there. And Miami was perhaps not as good as this team is. Uh, this team <laughs> I don't think so. is, uh, is an extremely good football team that is extremely well good. coached. Saw a great, uh, a great tweet today from, a, from, um, for the, from a, basically like a, a fan uh, who replied about Mike McDaniel's offense from, to another significant writer and had a good point. You know, the, the writer had said that Mike, you know, Mike McDaniel might be uh Right behind Kyle Shanahan is the person who's uh, scripting and formations oh, and, uh, so. ahead of the curve. And, and the, the, um, the fan replied with maybe a better answer. Or maybe McDaniel's been ahead of the pack for a while and finally found an interview that Shanahan couldn't block, which may also be a part of the equation as well as he takes over as head coach of the well, Dolphins. And that there were head coaching uh, opportunities that Shanahan would have blocked. Um, but well, yeah, that, that, I mean, that was the point. Someone finally decided, like, yeah, we're just going to give us a job coach. and make him the head coach. Right. And that has uh, paid right. off quite and well. I, I, I'd have to say, if you're looking for a tandem offensively and defensively, uh, McDaniel and Fangio have to rank uh, at or near the top. It's, it's, and uh, I, I, the, I like the, the mix. Offensive guru and a proven defensive coordinator who has uh, – um, Although he hasn't been a part of a Super Bowl champion, he has coached in Super Bowls. I, I like the mix just the way I like it. And, I, you know, we haven't talked about the Buffaloes and Willows later in the week, and I think they're in big trouble against Oregon. But I, but I like the mix with the Dolphins for the same reason I like yeah. it with the Buffaloes. You have a, in the Buffaloes, you have a, a youthful, creative coordinator yes. in Sean Lewis on the offensive side, and you have a veteran, more conservative, more steady, hey, let's, you know, the steady hand on the wheel, defensive coordinator in Charles Kelly. That's what the Dolphins kind of have. Well, they, they have sort of a, a really creative, ahead-of-the-curve guy, McDaniels, and they have this steady, you know exactly yeah. what you're going to get. I've been here and seen this. Sure. Coordinator in Vic Fangio, sure. and it's a good fit. It, it is a good fit, and Fangio sits up in the press box where he's happy. He vastly prefers to be, 
not on the sidelines, and uh, he's in his element. And uh, I was very impressed. Uh, yes, it was a 36-34 game, but in the final minutes of that game, they stopped the Chargers cold. And all the Chargers needed was a field goal to win. And what do they need? Would their kicker now? maybe 40, 45 yards, and he stopped him cold. He blitzed when he hasn't really blitzed a lot all day, and he sacked, uh, they sacked, but he blitzed. He called the blitz. Uh, they sacked Herbert a couple of times uh, on that last possession, won the game by two. Uh, the Chargers never even got close to field goal range. And then last week, not that there's much to smother because the Patriots don't have stars on offense. They just don't and their offensive line is banged up. And so holding them to 17 was probably something that a lot of coordinators could have done. But it is a marriage, uh, I think, that will be uh, lasting. And it's not a new thing for Fangio, who had a young head coach in Chicago. And I think his first year there, when he worked for John Fox in 2015, um, might not have been his first year there, but it was Adam Gase's first year there, and you had Fox, kind of the ultimate CEO coach, with Gase running the offense and Fangio running the defense. And they were well coached. They were they didn't win a lot of games because they didn't have a lot of players. And Fangio took note of that when he came here, and he said, well, they don't know how to draft in Chicago. They're always putting Band-Aids on Broadway. That was the other thing he said initially, and I said, He's come to the uh, kingdom of Band-Aids here in Denver. Yeah. That's all they do here. And he, at, at, and at that point, that I said, point, I it? don't know that this guy has uh, done his homework on what's been going on out here. If he thinks he's leaving an organization that didn't draft well to join an organization that's been drafting well for years, he really hasn't been paying attention. And that maybe is one of the reasons why Vic Fangio has been offered one head coaching job in his life, and he failed at it. Well, but he's very good at what he's doing but now. he's good at very, being a defensive very coordinator. Very good. He's very good. And a lot of teams, uh, I think half the league, maybe more, practice his brand of defense in one Including form or the another. Denver Broncos. And in, in this the case... The Broncos, I, I, Vance blitzes more than Fancy He does blitz does, more. But... Yes, the defensive construct is very similar. Yeah, I mean, did you ever had that? Uh, Vance Joseph talked about how he yes. learned Evero's verbiage instead of making the rest of the team learn his and, from and what that, is essentially the same defense. that was smart, but Vance Joseph's record uh, as a defensive coordinator even, um, I would characterize it the same way I would have whenever he was hired six months ago, seven months ago, whenever it was. Underwhelming? Spotty. There you go. Probably, Spotty. probably even better. Spotty. The to, to me, this is one of those games. Now, the pass rush is obviously critical, but talk about crisis turning into opportunity. Pat Sertan, by many estimates, was in the preseason, was rated by many outlets as the best, not among the best, the best cornerback mm. in football. I don't. I think he's been fine by his standards. Not great in the first two. But here's the catch: if you're going to be great, Sunday's the day. Sunday's the day. If you're yeah, past your tan, and 
and, and I would say in in the first two games he he was okay, but not great. Had no impact. Um, technically, he was okay. I think we're beginning to see that he he's not going to make a lot of tackles. He's not all that willing. Uh, we saw that the second half of last year, and I think you pointed out in in one area that he was kind of lowly ranked the first two fifteenth. Well, thirteenth, uh, yeah, thirteenth by Pro Football uh, Focus it's, in, it's not in his great. coverage rate. That's, that's, that's well, not great. He's supposed to be number one. one. Supposed to be number one best cornerback now in football. I, I, supposed to be, I will say thirteenth. Why not first? Well, I'll, I'll give you this. He he is covering two very good receivers in Devontae Adams and Terry McLaurin. Two very, very, two of the best in the league, in my opinion. And McLaurin, to my mind, wildly underrated. Uh, we know about Devontae Adams. So I, I, I don't think, but like I said, I think by his standards, he's been fine, not great. In other words, 13th, okay, top 20 in the league in, in the, that. And but it's but only two no games, impact. small sample size. And I want to see a game where he has an impact. Okay. Uh, and and cornerbacks That's have fair. impact pickoff passes. His man has been targeted I, I'm sorry seven that, times. They have four catches, so that's a fifty-seven point one percent success rate, which among top corners, and they like play a lot of zone. I get, I get that he is a match one, and he's it, also it, drawing. He's is, also committed two penalties. This is one game where whatever they're doing otherwise, he's got to be on Tyreek Hill, and maybe you know his supposed value lies in that he eliminates. Uh, you know the opponent, uh, the opponent's best receiver, mm-hmm. uh, or one side of the field. However, we want to characterize it, and he's got to do that on Sunday. He's got to make Tyreek Hill pretty much a non-factor. Give him three or four catches for 35, 40 yards, and, and you know maybe he'll catch one for a touchdown. Maybe he won't, but he can't be a game wrecker. And I, I I'm sorry, but I don't see, and I didn't. Even see it the second half of last season. First se- half of the season, yes. I don't see quarterbacks determined not to throw his way. He doesn't make a lot of plays. He doesn't tackle a lot of people. He covers fine, but he's not intercepting passes thrown his way. And you're like, you, you throw at Travis Hunter up in Boulder there's a good chance your pass will be picked off. He isn't just blanketing receivers. He's making plays. He's making impact. Shiloh had a pick six the other day. Shiloh can play. Shiloh's going to play in the National Football League. And for the first half of that game, if you were to choose between the Sanders brothers in terms of impact in the first half, it'd be Shiloh. It wouldn't have been Shadur. So (laughs) that says more about Shiloh than it says about Shadur. Uh, that Shiloh's a hell of a player. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Darius Slay, he makes plays. The guy in Dallas, at least for a year, digs. He made plays. you got to make plays. And it can't just be, well, nobody's throwing at me when that isn't the case. That isn't the case. And, you know, people said that, that people didn't throw a Champ Bailey. You know the guy the Broncos have had over the years and nobody threw at except one quarterback, and that was Jim Zorn because he had Steve Largent? That Louis was Wright. Louis Wright. He's the cornerback uh, and the only one in Bronco history. When people say they didn't throw at Louis Wright, they mean it. They didn't. 
It'll be a terrific test for Sertan, and if he's up for it, then maybe the Broncos have a puncher's chance. If he's not, it's going to be tough to imagine how they can even stay in the game with the Dolphins. We'll talk more about this as the week goes on and visit the Buffs on their pretty ugly three touchdown underdogs against Oregon. We'll touch on that. Three and O teams later or three touchdown. I think just anybody one this week, as it turns out, we'll talk more about that as the week goes along. Thanks so much to Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette for joining us. Danny Bailey, the great Danny Bailey in the booth, making everything work. Thanks to you for listening, whether it's, on the FM HD or whether you're on My Life Sports or the app. We'll be back tomorrow, but it's time for us to step aside. For Danny and Sandy, I'm Sean. Keep it right here on My Life Sports. Move it to the exits. I hope you have found a friend. Closing time. Every new beginning comes from some other. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.